Let's sit. No more Let's learn. Let's evolve. Let's talk. Today is Let's Talk Business with your host, Jai Lawton. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Business. My name is Jai Lawton, a Bidjara man from central West Queensland and your host for the weekly Let's Talk Business series. Before we start, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands we broadcast here in the west end of Brisbane and all across the country, wherever you are listening. I'd like to acknowledge the unceded sovereignty of, First, of all First Nations people across the many nations in this continent and acknowledge all elders past and present. Today, we are speaking to a powerhouse of Indigenous media, Naomi Moran, the General Manager of Australia's only independent Indigenous newspaper, the Koori Mail, the Chairperson of the National Indigenous Peak Body for Indigenous Media, First Nations Media Australia, amongst many other things. We're very lucky to have Naomi join us in the studio for today's program. Hello and welcome to the program, Naomi. Jingiwala, thank you so much for having me. It's really special to be here and always uh, very uh, special and sometimes emotional coming back to um, the Beamer mob here. It's really nice to be here. Yeah, and let's let's start with your, your mob and your country. Uh, so I'm a proud Bundjalung woman, both of the Nyangabal and Arakal peoples of the Bundjalung Nation um, and also Dungari, um, southwest rocks of the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Yeah, too good. And... I've wanted to touch on this because it's, it's coming up to, you know, the 12-month anniversary of the devastating floods that was, you know, New South, northern New South Wales and Lismore particularly, including the Koori Mail premises. But I think what that showed um, and the leadership from yourself um, in this space is that black media is more than, than service delivery. So tell us uh, about that time then and, and where we're at now 12 months on. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like, no matter what sector we're in as uh, blackfella businesses or organisations or community groups, um, you know, whenever there's uh, a tragedy or a disaster, uh, whether it's in our own communities or, or part of the region, um, we all certainly step out of that comfort zone of what we do in our day jobs. Um, and that certainly was the case with us, was, you know, um, shutting down operations as a newspaper because we physically couldn't produce a newspaper at the time. But more importantly, uh, leading up to the floods and knowing just how severe it was, um, we acknowledged that our priorities were our community, were our mob, mm-hmm. making sure that they were looked after. So, um, you know, looking back on that 12 months later now, um, it's been quite the journey, but I think ultimately we're really Really proud of what we've been able to do to support the community and and acknowledge that that was the right decisions to be made at that time. Absolutely, and I know you know communities all across the country were um, were really you know on board with the leadership that your mob took there, and it's not an easy thing to you know I could imagine at the time having to to have the, to make that decision to go well we're going to shut down our operations but we're going to put community first and um, and get in there in the trenches and and help out, which is exactly what you've done. Yeah, and I think um, there was a lot to consider in those really short moments. Um, you know, when when the waters had peaked, when the water came in and inundated and devastated the town, um, making those really quick decisions in that moment wasn't easy. Uh, you know, obviously the Koori Mail is self-funded, it's independent, so stopping uh, the newspaper from printing meant stopping revenue coming into the organisation for three editions, which is, um, you know, a substantial loss. Uh, you know, we did take a hit, uh, but ultimately I think... 
Uh, you know, what I'm really proud to talk about is the foundations of the Courier Mail and how the Courier Mail began and how the Courier Mail was supported to become what it is today. Mm. That those foundations of coming for a, from a place that's community driven, um, that's country driven, that's driven by, you know, some key people from around our region that have left behind, you know, this amazing legacy. Mm. Um, I think those foundations of the Courier Mail certainly, um, you know, really supported the decision making that we really had to put our people first in those moments. Absolutely. And where are things at now? Like 12 months on, is there still mob that out of business and is there still, Mm. you know? I think... um everybody's circumstance is, is different. And so, you know, I was only saying the other day to somebody that you walk down one side of the street and it's all it's all happening. You know, people are sitting in the coffee shops that have reopened and they seem to be, um, you know, have kind of come out the other end in a positive way and moving forward. But then you might go, you know, down the other side of the street or you might talk to mob or just, you know, the, some community members in general and they're still at a loss as to what's happened some 12 months later and still feeling really displaced, so they don't have a home to go back into, they're being moved about. Um, I think whether they're a homeowner um, or whether they've been renting, there's just some real inconsistencies with where they're at and how they're feeling about it. And unfortunately, you know, that adds to layers of things like emotional and mental trauma and, and stuff like that. So everybody's circumstance is different. And certainly from our part, you know, as a Blackfellow organisation and also our, you know, Blackfellow volunteers that have supported us over the past 12 months is that we're still trying to look out for people. Um, even though time's gone by, we want to make sure that we're checking in on those that we've supported to make sure that they're okay even 12 months later. Yeah. And, you know, we are here to talk about business, but business continuity and contingency and mm. risk management, uh, you know, they're all part of, of business practices. And I remember myself, I got flooded in 2011 in mm. Indrapilly here up to the up to the ceiling. And hindsight's always a lovely thing. You can, you know... Uh, Understanding what could have been put in place um, to avoid certain things. What what are the key learnings that taken away, and what what are the things that need to need to happen to support in future future natural disasters and floods? Yeah, I think um, you know obviously Lismore is a, um, a flood prone region, always has been. And when I look back at, um, I started back in in this role in 2016, and then we had a major flood in 2017, and we were in production week. That week that it happened, it was a Friday. We were meant to go to print on the Sunday. Um, I'd send everybody home to make sure that they were safe, but then I packed my pillow and my blanket and my sister had to bring me some food because I was so determined to stay in the office on that Friday night because mm. um, I didn't want to pull the plug on computers and everything else and risk the disruption to production mm. unless I absolutely had to. So I big noted myself and stayed there and then next minute the SES saw my office light on and they come banging on the door and dragged me out of there because, you know, they said that it was unsafe. Yeah. But I think our natural inclination is to to save what's ours, you mm. know, to, to protect the business um, um, with everything that you have. And unfortunately, um, you know, the, the flood did impact us back then, very minimal damage, but we had to stop um, production for a day or two. We still got the paper out. Um 2022 was bigger than we could have expected. Mm. So while we thought that we were prepared, Mm. um, we certainly weren't prepared enough for this level of tragedy, this level of water that came into the community. So um, looking back on the last, you know, year, I think for us is uh, one of our key 
kind of actions this year is how do we support ourselves uh, online in the digital space? So in the event, you know, we can't print, how do we make sure that we're doing the most in other platforms so that we can still get news and stories out there and coverage? Um, so as a team, certainly as an editorial team, um, you know, with my involvement and, and, and I guess the whole staff acknowledging that perhaps this is something that we need to work on this year. So we're really excited to put some of those plans and practices in place so that we can continue to operate in some kind of capacity in the event that this happens again, but also just making really smart business decisions um, around finances, around capacity and resources so that we can continue to do the work um, even when we do take a hit financially because, um, like I said, it was we still took a hit last year and we're still recovering from that, but at the same time we've had to make some really smart decisions and, again, that comes back to organisational structure mm. um, and also really great governance with a really great board of directors that can support those decisions decision makings too. Yeah, absolutely. And I still I still remember seeing, you know, uh the, the vision of floods, floodwater rising and just another example of, um, you know, our community-controlled organisations mm. leading from the front, not waiting for government no. intervention because if that <laughs> would have waited for that, it would have been, you know, even more problematic. Um, well, yeah, and I think even now the, you know, some of the attitudes from the wider, wider community is, um, you know, that we were a bit rebellious in, mm. in that thinking that how dare we make decisions without asking first and mm. I think if any Anybody knows me personally or, you know, knows these parts of, of the leadership is that sometimes you, you know, you really have to stand firm in who you are um, as an Indigenous organisation and Indigenous leader and remind people that we were the first decision makers. Mm. And so for us to make these decisions and just do the work without asking permission, that comes natural to us and we shouldn't be made to feel like that, you know, we, we should be punished for that. Um, and so our mentality the whole way along is, you know what, as long as we're leading with our cultural integrity and responsibility, uh, nobody can take that away from us, mm. meaning nobody can take away the decisions that we've made to support and put our communities first. Yeah, absolutely. And Indigenous businesses, you know, it goes beyond the proprietary limited companies or mm. the startup space and our community control dogs are businesses as well. And I wanted to touch in this business series on some of our um, prominent community controlled uh, organisations in, in, in around the country. And can you tell us about the unique ownership structure of the Koori Mail? Yeah, so if people know the history of the Koori Mail, they'll know that, um, you know, it started with one person, Owen Courage, who um, identified that, you know, black fellas need a voice um, through through a newspaper, through black media. Um, and then when he wasn't in a position to, to continue um, producing the newspaper off his own back, and absolute credit to him being able to do that for the amount of time that he did, I think, you know, that's amazing and certainly a really special um, part of Koori Mail's history. It was then the community community elders and leaders that rallied behind him to get that up and running. Um, and so it wasn't just about um, supporting the idea uh, and supporting the work that he'd already done. It was about moving forward um, in the best interests of what the Koori Mail could be, mm. um, not only as a business or a community organisation, but for our people, not just locally, but nationally. Mm. Um, and that's when the really smart decisions came into play. You know, let's take five Aboriginal-owned organisations from around the Bundjalung community mm. and let's support this. Let's become equal shareholders and investors invest 
in this. Mm. And that's the history of the Koori Mail, that it's owned by five Bundjalung organisations from around the region that uh, do anything from providing housing to community programs to health and wellbeing services. Um, you know, so every every thing that the Koori Mail produces in terms of revenue uh, goes back into the community, either through these organisations or around the nation through things like scholarships and and sponsorships and other and other support. So the structure of the Koori Mail is that it's 100% Aboriginal owned, 100% Aboriginal run. All the key decision makings come from um, a table of blackfellas, mm. <laughs> which I'm really lucky, uh, you know, most of them are my mob. You know, yeah. they're my elders, they're, um, they're people that I've grown up around that obviously you know, trust that I can do the job, mm. which is great. But also, um, in return, I have faith that um, they can lead the organisation in the best way possible as well. And and I think really good structure, organisational structure and governance, as I said before, absolutely contributes to how an organisation moves forward. And the crew mail's been around for thirty odd years now, so um, mm. <laughs> I think you know you don't you don't get to have that longevity without really smart decisions. Um, that are built off, you know, passion and and drive for what you want to see for your people and community. Yeah, and that foresight, hey, like you think, you know, thirty odd years ago or thirty two years ago, you know, it of those mob, they can see that and they're planning for that, and mm. it's just the strategy behind that is, I find, you know, next level with our old people that had that that had that foresight. It's yeah, yeah, that's right, and I think also like. Um, you know, uh, Indigenous media um, in terms of, you know, um, the skill set or the history of, you know, blackfellas being able to, um, you know, do the work within our sector has obviously been supported by a lot of non-Indigenous people that mm. have played a big role in that. And that's certainly part of the history of the Koree Mail. But, you know, what we're really proud of are the opportunities that we've been able to build probably over the past, you know, five to ten years um, for Indigenous people to be trained and to occupy those seats mm. within the organisation. So succession planning for blackfellas within First Nations media is so important because um, I guess how can we continue to be the voices of our people around the nation if we're not giving blackfellas an opportunity to be part of that from the inside? Um, and so we're really excited to keep working on that and making sure that we're building those pathways for blackfellas to, to come into the organisation. Um, and that just makes for you know a stronger future as an Indigenous-led organisation. Yeah, and as Aunty Lilla Watson will say, you know, it's so important to look just as far ahead as you do behind and yes. it's so important to understand the purpose and the roots of the organisation but also to share that foresight that our elders had before Absolutely. us. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so yourself, um, Naomi, you, ha- you have strong links and ties to this organisation, as you mentioned, from the outset and, um, and you know, with some pioneers and trailblazers in the Indigenous media sector, tell us about your journey in, in business and media. Um, well, I started out when I was, <laughs> when I was 14. I was, um, you know, we say muggle back home. I was a muggle child. I, um, you know, uh, I was really uncomfortable in, uh, the school environment. Um, and I guess looking back on that now and what we do know about the education system and the curriculum and how, uh, we know that it doesn't serve who we are as blackfellas, you know, um, and that we have different ways of learning and thinking and being taught because when you only grow up with your community, mm. um, so my dad's a white fella, my mum's, my mum's Aboriginal. Mm. Um, so all I know is my mum's mob and side. Mm. 
And so, um, and it wasn't that I wasn't academic or, you know, that um, I wasn't a smart kid. I remember being in the top of my English class and I was the only black fella in that class and mm. kind of thinking, well, where, why can't I bring everybody else with me? Because I had that connection. Yeah. That turned into frustration and frustration turned into me being, you know, somebody that I wasn't. Mm. And I remember going home one day and saying to my mum, you know, I'm going to quit school. And I always joke about if you know my mum, <laughs> and maybe some of the Brisbane mob do, but, um, you know, if you know my mum, she she basically said, you've got two choices, either go back to school or get a job. Mm. And, and I mean, look, you know, call it the universe, call it the ancestors, but at that exact same time, um, the Koori Mail manager at the time contacted my school and said, have you got any young um, Indigenous girls that, you know, want a traineeship and, and, and want work? Mm. And so I was the first person to put my hand up and I just remember begging my support teacher at the time to, to put me forward for the job. And I always say that I took a risk of, at, you know, I took that risk of giving up what people um, thought was my education mm. to follow a different um, pathway to education. And that was stepping into the workforce, stepping into black media and learning everything that I possibly could along the way. Mm. Um, so obviously that was a long time ago. <laughs> And then, you know, like fast forward some 20 odd years later, um, I was able to come back to the Koori Mail in 2016 um, in this particular role to lead the organisation. And, um, you know, I had a lot of self-doubt because I think when the opportunities come to you when you're so young mm. um, and you feel like respectfully it's not your time that, you know, well, who else could do this before me mm. and that I'm still learning and growing. But um, I remember, and I talk about this all the time, like thinking back to that 14-year-old girl who was, you know, big-noted herself and left school <laughs> <laughs> and thought she knew everything. Yeah. Like, you know, well, why don't you go back to that kind of, that feeling, mm. you know, and that motivation and that determination. And so um, I ended up accepting the job and, and I'm still there and, um, you know, I think throughout the years working in different um, black follow media spaces, um, including here with Beamer and NERS um, and other Indigenous organisations as well, um, you know, also focusing on how I can mentor and support young people mm. around um, making, you know, sensible employment um, and education opportunities. So not that I'm there to tell them to follow my lead and quit school, but just to let them know that things are different these days and that there's a wealth of support there for our kids in schools um, to create positive pathways and that um, ultimately just have a plan, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. If you want to give up, make sure you have a plan to go on to the next thing because I think, um, you know, making sure that our young people know that they're, they're very capable um, and that if anybody else is telling them that they can't, it's up to us to tell them that they can. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, throughout those years is just not just doing the work and learning everything but really going back to those moments where I have those doubts and going, uh, you know, well, you've already kind of proven that you can. Mm. You know, any opportunity that comes your way, just take it. If you fail, you fail. Yeah. You're never going to know, though, if you don't try. And so I think sometimes, you know, um, we're made to feel inferior. And that's a whole other yarn. Obviously, you know, historically, we're made to feel inferior and we still feel that today. But we can only try. And I think, um, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm still learning. Mm. 
I'm still learning. I love working in the black media sector because I think there's nothing more important than elevating the voices of our people. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I've got to make sure that I'm strong in my voice mm. and who I am. Mm. Um, so, yeah, big journey. Yeah. Still a lot to learn. Um, still a lot of challenges. And last year was probably, you know, the biggest test of that and the biggest challenge. But definitely excited to keep um, working in this space. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and I can... Yeah, it, it would have, last year particularly that challenge, it would have really, you know, you would have taken a lot of strength and resilience, I mm. think, from that experience. But not only that, I think having the community behind you because sitting in in these seats, in these leadership positions, in community organisations, it can be lonely and mm. it does come with additional pressure that I've never felt before in any other role. Yep. Um, so it is important to have that self-belief and to, you know, really, yeah, to have those community behind you and that must feel good. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I think anybody who's kind of seen and watched, um, you know, or read about our experiences the past 12 months will know that that has 100% been supported by the community. Um, our local Bundjalung community stood by our side every single day, you know, right up until a couple of weeks ago when we had to close down the Koori Kitchen and, and mm. just kind of settle with everything. They were still there. Um, you know, and they're the special things that only us black fellas can really, you know, um, hold close to us. We know what those feelings are like and and it doesn't mean that um, that support stops there. I think mm. for me personally, um, I know that I can carry those moments where I felt so um, encouraged and inspired and empowered by our mob with me whenever the next challenge comes along, mm. whether they're there physically or not by my side, um, I can reflect on those moments and I think that's so important that we keep you know uplifting one another you know we talk about empowering the individual empowers the community so let's go back to the individual and take a look at what the support system and networks look around that individual mm. so that we feel capable every morning when we get up to do to do the work um, that we can complete that day or that week or that year knowing that we've done the most and we've done the most because of everybody else behind us and I also think that pays tribute and gives credit back to those who came before us mm. as well mm. so that it's really important and I think that's um can be a, a big difference into you know whether we follow through with those next challenges and chapters and move forward because um you know myself personally there was times last year where I was like that's it I'm done <laughs> <laughs> um you know but a lot of that has to do not necessarily with not feeling supported by our community but just the institutionalized discrimination and racism mm. that really shone through last year in our local community yeah and that was a bigger spirit killer. Mm. So it wasn't necessarily like our own, you know, our own mob. And I know that we have those experiences sometimes too, but I, I'm really trying not to focus on that. What I really want to kind of make people aware of is that locally in our own communities, there's still a lot of change that needs to come with the attitudes that exist around Blackfella organisations and leaders and the work that Blackfellas are doing. Um, that's probably a whole nother yarn too, brother. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. But it is time for, for this country to stand up and acknowledge the role that we play and our role Absolutely. for place in this country. And it's only through black media we can share those stories. Exactly so. right. Yeah, and so if you've just tuned in, you are listening to Let's Talk Business, where we're talking all things Indigenous business with our guest, Naomi Moran, the General Manager of the Koori Mail 
newspaper. Um, amongst many hats you wear, Naomi, you were also the chairperson of the National Indigenous Media Peak Body uh, for First Nations Media in Australia. Um, and look, I'll be honest, we've, we've had our, at AAA here, we've had our run-ins as it is with peak bodies comes politics mm. and all the rest of it. Um, and, you know, and making sure that, you know, urban perspectives are included. And I'll give mm-hmm. a big shout-out to not only yourself but also Karen Patterson who's um, shown a lot of leadership in that point. And we've now come on board. Hopefully we get accepted. I think I'm pretty sure we get accepted shortly to be a, a member of um, First Nations Media Australia, which would be great to get on board and, and support things from um from a sector approach, and that's where the peak bodies are absolutely critical to look at things from a from a, a sector perspective. Can you tell us about the work of, of FNMA and some of the challenges in the media landscape? Yeah, and um, I think, um, you know, I, I guess first off is acknowledging that um, First Nations Media Australia was formerly the Indigenous Remote Communications Association, where... Um, Obviously, it would focus on in uh, remote community um, broadcasts and channels, um, and and obviously that's a big change. Mm. That is a big change, um, not just for the organisation to then transition into a peak body, um, but also for our uh, Indigenous remote broadcasters and communities to understand that transition as well. So I think the first few years of um, First Nations Media Australia coming in as a peak body, um, which means the support is there now nationally, Mm. whether you're remote, East Coast, West Coast, whether you're in the cities and you're urban, um, that this peak body represents all of our Indigenous broadcasters that, um, as you said, want to become members. Um, and so I think, yeah, the challenge over the first kind of few years was really um, making, um, you know, the, the remote sector understand how this is now going to work as a peak but still very much support them as a remote sector. Mm. Um, first Nations Media Australia is based in Alice Springs, so they still operate out of Alice Springs. Um, you know, there's been a few changes over the years with, with CEOs and, and staff and restructure, um, which obviously has supported the work and We've just uh, announced a new CEO, Shane Hearn, um, who's currently based in Adelaide, um, looking to relocate or um, hopefully navigate between, you know, the two the two areas. And we're really looking forward, I guess, to having uh, somebody, you know, fresh set of eyes come into the organisation that hasn't um, necessarily been in the black media space, but can really focus on that forward-facing um, position as a CEO and really support. Um, the sustainability of, of the organisation through funding um, from the government mm. and support from the government, partnerships and stakeholders, because we know that is absolutely crucial um, for the longevity of our sector, um, especially our organisations that do rely on on funding. And, um, and we know that... Um, the biggest problem in terms of sustaining our black organisations is the inconsistencies around sustainable funding. Mm. You know, so it just blows my mind that, you know, the government and um, and everybody else, you know, looks to black media to, to be that message stick to our communities, yet we remain, uh, you know, the most underfunded sector in the country. Um, so I think what's really exciting about First Nations Media Australia is that we can take a look at our network of broadcasters, whether it's radio, television, uh, digitally, online, other platforms, and really dissect um, not just the history of those organisations, but also 
understand where they want to go individually and how First Nations Media Australia can support that. Um, so we're certainly not in position to create content and be the content makers. We want to support the content makers. We want to yeah. support those that are creating the stories and the yarns by making sure that they um, can sustain, you know, their, their organisations for the future because that's really important. And, you know, obviously um, there's some big discussions to be had this year around, you know, what things like the voice to parliament mean for our community and our mob. And I still strongly feel there's a lot more work to be done to have these conversations more intimately in mm. our communities, mm. um, whether, you know, we're here in Queensland, New South Wales, or even our most remote communities, we still need to get those messages out there so that they can make the right choices and decisions for themselves. Black media is expected to play a big role in this, right? Mm. But yet we don't have the resources. Mm. So what we need to do is still have these conversations with the government to, um, I guess, in a way, advocate for the importance of black media and black voices um, through our organisations. And I think to um, a big focus on digital inclusion. Mm. Uh, now, obviously, the government's just, um, you know, rolled out an Indigenous inclusion uh, uh, plan and advisory group. Um, so we really need to... Um, understand how we can support that to make sure that our mobs stay connected because that's so important for so many different reasons. Yeah, and it's good to see um, um, brother Professor, I think he is, Professor, Professor Ash, Chang, Professor Chang yes. Han, and, <laughs> um, and I did catch up with uh, obviously Karen Patterson who's a board member, mm. a director of FNMA and also the general manager here at National Indigenous Radio Service and and um, at, a, at a recent roundtable there through the Community Broadcasting Association yes. of Australia and and through that roundtable made a very good point that community broadcasting or community radio actually has a larger footprint than the ABC, which Absolutely. is interesting to hear. So yeah. it shows the important role and, and also the important role in which government does need to invest and it doesn't have to be the handout stuff, but if it, it's if you... If you want information out there and if you want mm. content developed, then you need to pay for it as you would through any any organisation. Exactly right. And I think we're so done with being made to feel like we, we just do the favours. You yeah. know, we're done with favours. We're done with CSA. <laughs> Stop sending us your community <laughs> service announcements. I'll send you the bill for it. <laughs> we're done. We've been doing favours for 230 years, brother. We are done. And I think, you know, part of paying the rent is, you know, like paying blackfellas yeah. to be that message stick because... Yeah. This is the problem. This is the gap when it comes to delivering key messages and information from the top down into our communities that unless they're investing in us being able to do that appropriately, culturally appropriately, delivering it in languages and dialects, but not only that, being on the ground so that mob can have conversations that they can comprehend and understand because sometimes it's not just about delivering it in language mm. it's actually about having these robust conversations with mobs so that they can comprehend what the message is that takes time mm. that takes time so um sound like I'm getting you know she gets on her soapbox here but um <laughs> she loves that but it's so important because um I think we've already proven and and I hate saying that because not that we have to prove what we can do and what our worth is as a sector but our sector is strong mm. you know when you look at when you walk into this place when you walk into our bush radio stations when you walk into places like ICTV NITV Kurumal mm. whatever it is mm. um our sector is 
is strong and we've got some, we talk about trailblazers that have been there, that have paved the way and I think, you know, they deserve to see things be really cemented in a way that, um, you know, we, we can be assured that our sector will be around for generations to come. Yeah, and we look forward to working with FNMA as a hopeful member. Yeah, and, deadly. And I think, you know, and it is because we are... You know, we, we are whippersnipper motors hauling a semi-trailer and we mm. need to upgrade our motor, so <laughs> give us some more bungoo for some resources. Yes, that's Thank it. You. <laughs> uh, we've always been leaders in innovation and this whole digital age is upon us. And as a traditional print media organisation, can you share with us what you're currently doing to bring Quarry Mail into the digital era? Yeah, and we're, you know, we've taken our time. Uh, we, <laughs> we've taken our time for good reason because I think um, the history and the legacy of the Courier Mail as a newspaper is really special. Um, and, you know, in a world where mainstream newspapers have folded um, and that has died out, we feel really strongly that, um, you know, our readership and demand for the Courier Mail in paper form is still, is still really strong and that's, and that's really special to see but obviously um, the digital you know media audiences need content as well and so it's not always been something that we've done um, and we've taken our time because we really want to make sure that we get it right we also really want to make sure that as an independently funded organization that we can um, be sensible with how we resource that so that has taken some time um, and I guess what we're really excited about is now the opportunity to do things like website refresh so that we can uh, do breaking news stories and that we can upload content more regularly, really tapping into the social media space. Mm. And, I mean, look, funny story, before the floods... Our Instagram page was really slack, hey? And, um, <laughs> and you know, we're a small team. I always say we're a small team that does amazing big things and so we didn't necessarily have the resources to focus on Instagram. Facebook was a priority mm. because we had amazing readership and audience through that. And then the floods came. And then we went from like, you know, very little engagement to a really big following, mm. um, and, and big engagement, which, um, I think now we, we have a responsibility to look after those audiences. And so we've been really engaging on things like Instagram and, and Twitter and stuff like that. Um, so really looking at what mob are engaging with and what's working for them and making sure that we're following suit. So we're giving, giving them that information in a way that they want to receive it. Um, podcasting is a big focus mm. for us as well. So before the floods, we were trialling some podcast programs and then obviously we had to put a hold on that. Coming into this year, though, we've got a blank canvas now to play with, which is amazing. So what we're looking at is not necessarily creating podcasts based off crew mail content, mm. but we actually want to invest in content um, that's already working. Mm. And I think as a black-owned business that can self-determine what they do in, in that context, um, it's actually really special that now we get to approach people that um, have been doing you know their own shows and creating their own content and saying, hey, if you need that supported or funded, mm. we want to do that for you. So we're really looking forward to, um, to dropping um, a, a new podcast show on our platform this year, um, a podcast um, series, um, another podcast series 
uh, around the flood, conversations around the flood that's going to be headed up by Ella Bancroft, who was um, amazing, her and her partner, Kira Lee, um, on the ground in coordinating our flood relief response, um, but also localising some content as well. So a bit of a lighthearted show with some of our local mob, um, but also pitching some ideas to other people that may have a profile that have, you know, considered creating content but haven't been able to get that supported Mm. Um, and going, you know what, if you've got a profile out there and you've got people who are going to listen to you, then again, as a black follower organisation that can make those decisions freely, we want to support you. Um, you know, and, and we want to put that out there for anybody who's got an idea to come to us. So it's not about us kind of reinventing the conversations based on what we've printed in the paper because mm. we've got the paper. We've mm. got those stories. This is about supporting content makers and creators that can use Career Mail as a channel and platform. Yeah, and time time's an interesting thing with that too, and I love how you've taken the time because if you sometimes jump into this thing because it is a trend or whatever, that's where it, it can become a, a little bit uh, unauthentic, I think, mm. and the fact that you have taken the time to really... You know, navigate the landscape and understand, well, how does Corey Mal fit into this digital yeah. era, I think, is a great thing. And I think just, just going, um, you know, our kind of first thinking was, well, we have to create um, a podcast that's centred on the Corey Mail. Mm. And then we went, hang on a minute, what works really well for us is the newspaper and our existing online presence. Mm. So let's support what's working well for somebody else. Because if they're struggling to get funded or to get some kind of backing behind them, we can now come in and commission content. And that goes back to the foundations of the Koori Mail being the voice of Indigenous Australia. Mm. So we're actually supporting your voices. Yep. Um, but it's what you want to talk about. If you want to talk about golf all day long, I might not listen because I'm not a golf person. <laughs> but if that's what you're passionate about and you're a black fellow who's an expert in golf, yeah. then you can tap into an audience that I can't or that the Koori Mail can't. Yeah. Um, you know, if we've got some women that want to talk about their birthing experiences or whatever it is, um, you know, I'm just a few ideas here, but like sports, arts, whatever that is, language, you Mm. know, um, having mob create podcasts in languages is so important. We can support you to do that. Yeah. Providing a platform to elevate those existing voices is um, right up the right up the alley of Corey That's Mail, right. and and they are up to well, Corey Mail is up to fourteen thousand nine hundred followers. <laughs> I just had a look, so we need to get to fifteen thousand by the end of this. So get on there and follow. We'll uh, have cake when we get to fifteen thousand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just on that too, you know, for me and. And I know that there's a lot of older people out there that would be listening as well. There, nothing, there is nothing like opening a physical newspaper yeah. and the smell of it and, yeah. and reading it. And yeah. Yeah, so I don't... They've been saying for a long time, you know, radio's dying, traditional print media's dying. It's like, well, we're still not here. Not in our communities, no, though. And I think that's part of the ignorance, isn't it? That, yeah. you know, um, one, this one-size-fits-all thinking needs to stop. Yeah. Needs to stop. Step into our world. Mm. It's not about us stepping into your world. It's not about us sitting around your tables now. Come and sit around our tables and see how we do things because not only is it exciting and we know that this is going to continue into the future and we'll do it whether it runs on an oily rag or not (laughs) or whether, you know, government wants to, you know, drop a few dollars in, um, we will still do it and that's how it started. So what we're actually doing is we keep circling back to the legacy and the trailblazing and nobody can take that away from us. Nah. No, and it's iconic. I was up in Rockhampton recently, up in Durumble country, actually at Durumble, uh, which is a, a 
community service centre that does a whole lot of deadly stuff for young people and stuff like that. And there was just, and similar to my office, you go up to mm. my office and there was just stacks and stacks of previous Koori Mail. Yeah, and deadly. people would come in and just, and they'd read the, the older ones and have a look and have a Doris of who's yeah. who and what was <laughs> happening. And, they were, you know, these are over 12 months old, these, uh, yeah. these ones. They've got a bit of orange tinge to it now. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Well, see, back in the day, people can cut out, you know, all the lovely ones that they see and pin them up to their wall. But now, now they're screenshotting and things and everything like that, this young generation. But I often think about the older fellas that just love that newspaper and yeah. prefer that newspaper and that our um, paper subscriptions are, are higher than our digital subscriptions for that very reason that mm. people just want to feel the product. So, yeah, mm. it's lovely. Yeah, too good. And we saw the celebration of Corey Mouse thirtieth a few years back, um, and a AAA actually we're now planning our celebration for the thirty years this year, which is exciting. And so, so exciting. Yeah. yeah. So what's on the agenda for Corey Mail for twenty twenty three? I think you know coming back to um, being in in full operations, um, having wrapped up all the flood relief support. Um, I think it's really important that we still play a role in that in making sure that you know mob are supported emotionally and. Mentally and their well-being, and, we, and we'll just do that um, on top of everything else that we've got to do this year. So stepping back into full operations, making sure that um, I guess we want to really focus on being present. Um, off, off last year, uh, it was really heavy. We weren't able to, to get around on the ground, uh, you know, to cover stories or to be present at community events and stuff like that. So we really want to make sure that um, we're re-engaging with mob around the country, whether it's with our correspondents um, and staff being on the ground to cover stories or just supporting everybody with their events. Um, we really want to engage in some cadetship opportunities this year, so we'll be looking at taking on some cadets based in the Lismore office, but obviously conversations around if people can't relocate, where can we have them based? So um, keep an ear and an eye out for that. Um, we'd really love to take on, you know, some young black fellas, uh, you know, women and, and men. That um, might end up being the general manager of Kurima exactly one Exactly right, day. exactly right. It's about succession plan, <laughs> yeah. you know, those succession plans. Yeah. It's about making sure that we're supporting our, you know, young blackfellas to be um, journalists and writers, but editors mm. and managers and CEOs and uh, operations officers. You know, it's about making sure that our mob are occupying these seats of, of leadership um, within our black organisations. Um, you know, podcast programs, we've got some really exciting stuff dropping this year in partnerships um, but just making sure that our door is still open. Mm. I think that's the biggest thing for me is um you know, our experience last year was that we had to close ourselves off so much to focus on um, certain things. And this year we want to make sure that our door is is open to anybody who's got ideas and wants to contribute, whether you are a freelance writer from around the country and you've got some ideas or something's happening in your community. We want to hear from you mm. and we want to pay you to do that. Mm. You know, I think this is the thing is that, you know, our own organisations need to make sure that we're investing in mob, yep. you know, that we're valuing their, that their work, um, you know, deserves to be credited, not just with a byline, mm. but this is your bread and butter. We want to create those opportunities. So um, we're always up for a conversation and an idea and we just want to remind people that our door is open this year. Mm, so any any younger mob out there looking to cut your teeth in the media space and in the in the in the 
to contribute to Courier Mail, um, yeah, jump on jump on the website uh, and uh, get involved in the cadetship opportunities. And I want to transport you in time now, Naomi, to 50 years from now. So the year is 2073. What does Indigenous business look like in the media sector? Well, brother, if I live to be 90... <laughs> Odd, I just turned 40 now, so I'm, I'm counting. I'll be about 90 if I'm still alive and looking, looking back on the, you know, these years from now. Um, you know, what you and I are doing in our roles, what everybody else is, you know, doing in their roles and organizations. That's so important. Um, you know, and looking at these younger ones that have come through that we're starting to get to know and they're occupying the seats that, that you know, we've been put in. Mm. Um, I think that'll be a really special thing to see. I only see our mob getting stronger and stronger in who they are and their identity um, and how they contribute to their country, mm. um, not just locally but nationally. I think now we have a big responsibility and role to play in how they see themselves in their identity and um, and the work that they want to do, whatever sector or space it's in. Um, but in particular with the Indigenous media space, I, I just, I, I feel so passionately and emotionally about it that, you know, like I said, um, it is imperative that Blackfella Media plays a role in making sure that the voices of our people are heard in a world, in communities and in spaces where they feel like they aren't being heard and that they're being silenced. Mm. And, you know, we're still talking about the same issues that were reported on in the Koori Mail from its first edition, if you've mm. ever seen the front page cover of the Koori Mail. Mm. That's how important it is. It's some 30 years later, mm. we're still dealing with the same injustices. Um I only hope that that's not the case in another 30 years. You know, um, I'm a mum of a little boy and I hope that by the time he's 30 that, you know, he doesn't have to read those same articles. But in the event that he does, it's our black media organisations that are going to be key to making sure that the stories of our people, their side of the stories, mm. are being elevated and understood. Mm. And told in our way. And I think mm-hmm. that's the... That's the thing that separates, um, one of the many things that, that separates us apart from, you know, the mainstream jargon you might see on, uh, on a mainstream channel we won't name. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I mean, look, in terms of Indigenous businesses as well, is our Indigenous businesses feeling like they can self-determine their own decision-making? Mm. And that comes with being able to position themselves as organisations where, you know, they're not reliant on that funding um, unless that funding is sustainable enough to allow them um, to, you know, make some decisions how they see it, not what's bound by government contracts and, you know, um, and guidelines mm. is really supporting our businesses to be independent um, enough so that they can make decisions freely within their own organisations that contributes to not only their business and the organisation being empowered, but the people that are working for them feeling empowered, that they want to get up every day. And I say this to my staff all the time. If you are waking up in the morning and you stop at that front door because you don't want to walk in, that's my problem mm. and mm. I need to fix that. Um, and, of course, they'll say, no, we love working here, mm. but I'm always mindful that the role that you play 
within your leadership position in an organisation is so important to to how your staff feel about being there and being in that space. And that's what contributes to the sustainability of our Indigenous businesses and organisations for the future. Mm. That when we're given the responsibility by our ancestors to sit in these seats and lead these organisations, that we are really making sure that we're culturally um, responsible Mm. for every single day that we're here and how everybody else feels about being here. Yep, and accountable. And then we'll tell us pretty quick when... uh, Yes. ..if if something's (laughs) going down. But uh, (laughs) the thing we love about our community, eh? And. um, And so just finally in, in wrapping up, the, as you mentioned uh, throughout the program, you know, that subscription model is an important part of the Courier Mail um, business model and, you know, and an important part of the distribution channels as well as a print media outlet. And we're a subscriber here and I always, as I mentioned, you know, I always enjoy getting that physical paper. So how can, how can people subscribe? So all you need to do is either give us a call or jump on the website. You can subscribe in paper form or you can take out a digital subscription. A really exciting thing that we're um, looking at doing this year and we've just had some conversations with our digital subscription provider is making sure that we're providing a varied uh, subscription option. Um, just like any other you know, outlet, um, you have a few different tiers of subscriptions that you can subscribe to, which I think is really important. Uh, you know, looking at how can people archive their digital copies of the Courier Mail so that they can go back to them and have their own archiving system um, with their subscription, which is really great. Um, but also we're focusing now on um, uh, corporate subscriptions. So, for example, we get a lot of inquiries from some of our corporate organisations, from some of our government organisations and agencies that want to provide multiple logins for their staff. It's not something that we've done before because we just haven't had the resources um, to explore that. But now we're in a position to do that. So we're really excited to give people opportunities now to uh, pick and choose how they see their readership, what they want from the query mail, um, but also how to support. And we talk about accountability and we talk about responsibility. So, you know, when uh, these corporates are, are building their wrap plans, you know, why isn't there an automated, uh, I guess, target or action within their wrap plans, which makes them uh, accountable and responsible to engage with Indigenous media? So. Mm. Not just the Curry Mail, but but any of our black media organisations, making sure that that's a part of how they engage with communicating appropriately with mob and communities. So um, we've got got to work on that. We've got to work on. Um, engaging people in the right way that suits them as an organisation. Um, but we just hope that in return that they value and understand the importance of black media. Yeah, and that website is uh, www.currymail, K-O-O-R-I, mail, M-A-I-L, dot com. Not to be confused with the counterpart of the Courier Mail, which no. uh, is a very different <laughs> outlet and a very different organisation. And it's Queensland too, you mob. We're yeah. based in New South Wales and what we're a couple of ways from, a couple of months away from origin there, so don't be confusing us with these Queensland mob. Gammon, gammon, gammon. But we good. always get, you know, oh, you're from the Courier Mail. Uh, no, sir. I, uh, I work for Blackfellow Media. Always have and always will. Yeah, and I think it's something about this uh, Courier accent, and I'm talking between particularly about the Maori accent of uh, Mr. Bo Spiram, if you're out there listening, <laughs> who would do the uh, the advertisement for uh, Courier Mail on air and we would get people flooding through saying, why are you fellas associated with the Courier Mail? And it's like, no, no, no. 
<laughs> yeah, but uh, anyway. <laughs> we get it all the time. Oh, but I want to thank you so much for coming into the program today, Naomi, and thank you so much oh, for your time. Thank you for having me, and I just think it's amazing the work that you're doing, and it's really special to be here, always has been, um, and, a, and a massive credit to you and your leadership and, and the team here as well, so thank you. No, thank you. And you've been listening to Let's Talk. If you want to hear more from today or catch another episode of Let's Talk, head to our website at www.aaa.org.au. Thank you for your company. No more whispering in our mind. Let's Talk, Monday to Friday at 9am on AAA Murray Country, the National Indigenous Radio Service and iHeartRadio. You can catch up on AAA.org.au. Proudly supported by the Community Broadcast Foundation.